Food forests are often considered the ultimate gardens. Using permaculture design principles, food forests become self-sustaining, capable of nourishing communities with very little labor. Today, I'll be speaking with Shelley Lambert, a chief food forester at the forefront of establishing food forests here in Ottawa, and Celeste Lomax, an organizer of the Browns Mill Urban Food Forest in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey Shelley, thanks for joining me. Before you begin, I'll just explain for our listeners that in Ottawa, Just Food is a local, nonprofit, community-based organization that works on both rural and urban food and farming issues in the region. And Shelley, you have a wonderful food forest at the farm. Could you start off by giving us an overview of what a food forest is? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll say what I I personally think it is. I'm going to call it a gardening technique slash land management system that can allow us to mimic a woodland ecosystem and insert a lot of edible things into that. I know you're going to ask me and I want to talk about some of the benefits and food production is only one of many benefits here. Often I think people get excited about these systems for the idea of food production. But then if you're really like immersed in it, you go, hmm, that's actually secondary. That's the secondary part. The the more important part is potentially the community building. It's definitely the personal growth and mental health stuff. It's a lot of other things that are happening. And even habitat, so the ecological stuff, habitat for pollinators, seed saving, all kinds of other initiatives that grow out of this kind of activity. Can you tell me a bit more about some of your projects around the city? It's uh, it's become a problem, Sampe. <laughs> the, I, I realized that I love doing that. And we have, I'm going to call them by their nicknames. I have Base Camp, which is my home food forest. I have the flagship, which is one at the Just Food site that's kind of meant for touring, uh, but also one of going to be very productive in a couple years. We have the new one, which I nickname Red Barn, but that's a big community food forest that's still being established. I have one at Riverside, so it's nicknamed Riverside, that's on corporate land, uh, where the company said, we want food forest around our corporate building. One for the employees to enjoy and help putter in, but also then we can donate this, the output to the food bank. And then uh, one (laughs) called Horseshoe, which is at a cottage site just outside of Ottawa. And a new one that will be launched this year also at the Just Food Farm as part of a broader forestry initiative. I know that when we talk to people, there's a lot of people starting to establish them in their yards as well. And people that want kind of input or advice and that kind of thing. We have the Facebook exchange group so that people can exchange scion cuttings or um, perennial rootings and seeds and all of this stuff with the idea that we should make it as easy for people to start this kind of work on their own as possible. If we go, oh, you have to wait and you have to read a book or you have to go through this training. It's not actually necessary. What enthusiasm trumps expertise every single time uh, and access to access to other people who have tried things and especially other people who have tried things and failed and then 
triumphed and figured stuff out, those are the people that you want to get to know because they, they have gotten their hands dirty and they have stuff to share. Could you expand on some of the benefits of urban agriculture beyond just food security? I'm going to refer to my homework because I thought about this at least for a few minutes before joining you on the call. And so food security is one of them. And under that banner, there's food production. And that can be immediate because you can interplant uh, annuals in between some of the trees that might take years to start producing but it's also a long-term plan you could have this plan and and just only you know access these food forests during crisis my vision would be that we have little pockets of these things all over the place and you don't have to attend them much they don't actually have to be highly productive but they need to be established because they take years to establish And then if you enter a period of crisis or pandemic or climate problems, then you have stuff that's established and ready to go and ready to ramp up that won't take years. Under the food security banner, there's the notion of resilience. So when suddenly you can no longer import half of the food supply that comes in to to your area of the world, oh, uh, that's okay, we've got this other thing we can lean on. (laughs) So I think that resilience story, especially with climate change and a lot of things that are likely to be more frequent, it's a good planning thing for everyone. One of the aspects we've been doing in a theme in the community food forest is saving and tracking of seeds and genetic material. So making sure that we have a very diverse set of things in the food forest, looking for things that are actually hard to find and making sure they continue to grow somewhere so that those things aren't lost to the world. Probably shifting our our focus away from that industrial model of does it ship well? Does it have a long shelf life? to something that is, let's just enjoy nature and make sure we have a giant set of diverse things. Then under ecological, there's the habitat for pollinators and and beneficial critters, including humans, diversity of species, of course, and then soil health and thinking about soil as a resource that we better take care of because if we don't, it blows away and it's not easy to regenerate. So instead of having a a model where we till and destroy, have a model where we actually regenerate and rebuild without a healthy soil. You can still grow food and you can add inputs, but I think the quality of the food degrades. If you look at the science around it, we should be actively making sure that the soil on the planet is being improved and not eroded. That's the ecological bit in a few words. And then finally, I will say I I categorize a bunch of benefits under the mental health, better people, better community thing. Part of what I get out of the Food Forest Initiative is a great sense of peace. If you're actively working in a food forest or you have even a little pocket on your own, you know, in your yard or you're volunteering somewhere, You're helping to grow food. You recognize what is involved in growing food. It helps you be grateful for what what we have. So it helps me anyway have gratitude for all of the people who ever do any work towards helping feed me. 
I know what's involved, even with these systems that don't take as much input, but you see that they might take time. It reminds me to be very filled with gratitude and that's a mental health thing for sure. I'd rather be grateful than happy, but they're so intertwined. Again, the banner of the mental health and the personal health and the health of the community. I think there's also a big aspect of creativity. We are creating spaces. We are helping foster things to grow from seed to, to its full uh, potential. Being able to do that and see that, it just, it fills me with a lot of ideas. And I think it's also how we invent new things. I know this sounds kind of flighty, but it's like when we as humans think and invent, we often are doing that by observing nature and then getting ideas and getting sparks of ideas. And I feel that very much in a food forest because there's so much wild, uh, raw energy and, and really so many things and so many seasons and every moment that you walk around each day is new and different. There's always new stuff happening. So are there any people or places you look to for inspiration in your food forest work? My go-tos are people with experience in building and uh, creating things, experience with having things not succeed, and then trying again. I, I like the, the rebel farmer of Austria, Sepp Holzer. I like even not food directly food forest related, but the uh, no-till gardening stuff. There's some examples also in France of the efforts that where they grow on mounds of compost heaps. So not, they don't call it hugo culture, they call it something else. But the idea that people are trying things, tweaking it, seeing what works for them, what works not just, again, not as a measure of how much food we can grow, but what is the right thing for us in our community. What about how we zone and regulate our municipalities needs to change in order to allow these food forests to flourish? This to me was the toughest question because it means that I have to think around the bureaucracy of things. <laughs> and it's not my strength. I have actually been, I had been invited into um, one of the communities on the west side of Ottawa invited me to speak at some public meeting about putting in a new park in the West End. These community members wanted to lobby the city to let them put in an area that's a food forest in the corner of the park. Because right now, the city of Ottawa has restrictions around putting food-bearing things in public spaces. What I found interesting about this wasn't that the councillor was opposed to the idea. That's not that at all. I think we have a couple things we have to work on in communities around Canada. One is there is always going to be an element of the community that wants tidy lawns, exact straight lines for things that get planted, bare soil, that's the indication of a good garden. <laughs> and anything that's wild or a little bit more natural is it, they're in direct opposition to. <laughs> so when I went to this community meeting, I was surprised to hear actual opposition to, well, I, I, I like trees, but I don't like trees that bear fruit. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> You're going to make me do work, aren't you? No. <laughs> no one is, is ever going to make you do work. 
So I think there's a, an element, and I know this from just, you walk around a neighborhood and there's some people that have converted their front lawns to spaces where they grow food. And then they're right beside a neighbor that has this exacting, you know, golf course style lawn that's perfect and looks like it's been painted there. These difference, differences of opinions uh, from household to household across the city. So I think that's the first challenge before we even get to being able to change bylaws or have it, because the, the city of Ottawa or the, any city is going to listen to their residents and they're going to take guidance from what people want. First, we have to ensure that what people want is a healthy ecological system for having resilient food security and uh, nice natural spaces. So there is some work to be done there, I think. The second part is having that city, that urban food plan, which I know Just Food and maybe both universities within Ottawa have been working together on to recommend to the city that, hey, we should at least get some edible trees planted around the space. My vision, I would like to see pocket food forests in every city park in Ottawa. Next, in Atlanta, Georgia, the Browns Mill community has established the city's first food forest. I spoke with Celeste Lomax, food forest steward, community organizer, and owner of her own business, Celestial Care Solutions. Could you tell me a bit about the Browns Mill food forest? How was it started? The Browns Mill urban food forest came about because we have a food desert in the area. But I must say that this area, the whole 7.1 acres, was being farmed before by the Morgan family who owned that land. So they were farmers, they farmed the whole seven one acres and they would take the excess food and sit it on the gate and people would come pick up the food as they needed. So I really believe that this place has always been a place to be growing food and to have sustainability and fresh food for that community. I, I love that little tidbit that the farm had this already like this legacy of sharing with neighbors before it was turned into a community food forest. Absolutely. And I really believe that's the lineage of this space. It's so much more than just food though. This is a healing place. I feel and people feel the spirit and the energy that is in this space. And it's, a, it's an awesome feeling. You described Brown's Mill as a food desert. What sorts of food options did residents have before the food forest was created? Okay, so before we were, we were there, I lived in the community for 10 years. So I have a car, but there are so many people in this area that do not have a car. So therefore they would either have to catch an Uber or they would have to catch a bus with their groceries. A food desert is not having access to affordable and organic food in within five miles of the area. What does the Browns Mill Food Forest grow and who does it serve within the community? This is the part that's not being told. Yes, we're a big food forest and we have, we're going to have all this food, but we have to remember that the food has to grow. These trees are not going to be bearing the kind of food that they're saying they're bearing now until three years from now. It's gonna take time for this forest to be able to produce the pounds of food that the media is saying that we'll have. Yes, we'll have it three years from now, but they're making it seem like we have it right now. Because when they show the pictures of the Browns Mill Food Forest, they only see the front. But when you go past that front garden in the earth garden area, all is back there is woods. 
we have trees back there and elderberries and pears and plum trees, but they were just planted two years ago. So they're not going to bear fruit for another two or three years. I read somewhere that the food forest is largely run by volunteers. Is that true? Oh my gosh. I tell you, if it wasn't for the volunteers in that community, I think I would go crazy and get overwhelmed and just stressed out. But because of them being there, I tell you, it takes a village, you know, it takes a village to do what we're doing. And if it wasn't for the community and those that come outside of our community, we would not be here. We have people from Decatur, College Park, Douglasville. We've even had people come from Africa, from California. When they come and visit, they want to see this this food forest, you know. So um, we are always giving tours and and showing people around and giving away herbs if we have them to give away, giving away fruits and vegetables, which we have like collard greens and spinach. And when they're in season, again, I mean, it's not all year round, but in season we have tomatoes and lettuce and uh, rosemary and thyme and oregano and lavender and all kinds of wonderful things for people to see, taste, touch, and feel. How did you get involved with the food forest? Like I said, I lived in the area for 10 years. So when this, when I realized the space was there, they had started planting things, but they didn't have anyone taking care of it. So when I went over there, herbs were dying, the vegetables were drying out. And I was like, there's no way this is going to be in my community and not be tended to if I got to do it by myself. So at that time, I was lugging buckets because we didn't even have irrigation down. And I was watering everything by hand. And that's how I ended up in the space, just volunteering for a whole year before I got hired with Trees of Atlanta. Can you tell me a bit about how the community has responded to the food forest? They have responded, but I would like to see more of the community involved. Because when you have more visitors than you do community, to me, it feels like there's a disconnect somewhere. And I think COVID has a lot to do with that because before COVID hit, we had so many volunteers in that space. We had over a thousand volunteers the year before when COVID hit. This year, we haven't even reached 300. So that's like a 700 person difference in how how the uh, land has been taken care of. So we haven't gotten as much done last year as we should have, which is makes us have like almost like double up this year, just to catch up from what we missed last year. So it's a challenge, but it's a good challenge. While I was stalking the uh, Browns Mill Facebook page, I came across a number of events that are held in the space. The Greening Youth Foundation, um, Community Foodscapes, Edible Neighborhoods, Skillshare, Virtual Grow and Learn Seminars. Can you tell me a bit about the programming that you hold? Um, all the above that you just mentioned. And we are also starting new programs that will focus on health and wellness. Like I have a pilot children's program going on now where last week we planted strawberries with the kids. And this is under Celestial Care Solutions, which is my business. We're doing great things for the kids in the community, um, teaching them about medicinal herbs, teaching them about equity and sustainability, composting, air quality, bees, pollination. There's so much education in that space. That's one of the things that I'm really, really passionate about, and that's teaching what we do in this space so that others can mimic what we're doing. 
Yeah, I remember as a kid, one of the coolest activities I got to take part in was a composting program where we all got to play with like worms and soil. You mentioned your business is called Celestial Care Solutions. Could you tell me a bit more about it? I started off making medicinal herbs. So that's the first thing you'll see is the herbs. As I'm moving forward and seeing how excited the kids are, I kind of like redirected what I'm doing. And now I am revamping my webpage just to focus on the kids and how they're healing and how they're learning and being able to get outside the house after being homeschooled. And these kids are really being affected and their mental health is really at stake, along with our adults being stuck in the house with the kids and not knowing that you know, mommy needs a break or the kids want to run around. So the Brownsville Urban Food Forest, I'm seeing it more than just a place of food, but as a place of healing, you know, healing and health and wellness. Um, we have, I am partner, Celestial Care Solutions is partnering up with Iwi Fresh, which is a farm to skin business. They have children called the Green Girls and Boys that will be coming out helping us volunteer. I am collaborating with Dr. Erica Holman, who is with Wawa and they teach on environmental justice. I am partnering with Habashar and that is a Pan-African organization that helps people in the community with sustainability and food equity. So um, we've got some great partners that are in the space that aren't being mentioned. And so I'm glad you're giving me this opportunity to also give thanks for the city of Atlanta who has done so much for us. You know, they, they have like three different parts of the city that works with us. You have three different departments that are the departments of park and recreation, department of city planning, and the mayor's office at Atlanta One, the office of resilience. From what you're saying, it sounds like the food forest obviously has a focus on food security, but also fostering greater equity and inclusion into the programming. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's like the media is so focused on the food, they don't see anything else that we're doing in this space. It is a space where people are coming together as one and learning how to change their mindsets and the way they eat. Because we as African-Americans, we love our soul food, you know? But it's that soul food that is killing us. It gives us the high blood pressure, the, the cholesterol, the diabetes. We are affected the most by that because of our diet. So I am very passionate about um, speaking about the shift that we have to go through on learning how to eat correctly so that we can take advantage of the food force that was put there for our nutrition and health and wellness. We are eating more chemicals than we are food. Something's the matter with that picture. I see something the matter with that, which is why we do all of our composting at the site. We, keep, we don't use any chemicals or pesticides on, on that whole 71 acres. You will not find that. You will find us using our own compost that we call black gold, that we make ourselves, we turn ourselves, and we put it back into the soil. When you break into our soil, you see worms, you see rich soil that we have cultivated that has already been cultivated before we even got there. Have you seen a shift in the community since the food forest was established? Um, I have not seen that shift yet. Um, and I think COVID had a lot to do with it. Just as we were picking up momentum, it hit. 
that that is the one thing that we're really going to be focusing on this year is getting more of the community involved. I had more of a grip on the community when I was able to send out newsletters and go door to door talking to them. But a lot of people in our community don't have laptops, they don't have access to the internet, or they're not on next door. And these were the things that I was doing when I could, as far as flyering out places where I know the people in our area go, like the dollar store, the Dollar Tree store, the Kroger's, Piggly Wiggly, the corner store. People used to could go there and find a flyer letting them know what was going on. We would also put posts out saying, Food Forest giving an event, you know. So we did everything we could as far as marketing. But then again, when we have, when we don't have access to, to receive the information, it's kind of hard to get the community involved, right? Now we do practice COVID. So we do have, when we do have visitors in the space, we have our masks, we're keeping our distance, you know, we're trying the best that we can to make sure that COVID uh, rules and regulations are enforced in this space. In terms of distribution, do people come to the food forest to collect fruits and vegetables and herbs? So in the newsletter, we put that we are giving the food away and we harvest from 10 to 1 on Wednesdays. We're trying to get everybody to come during that time. But again, this is a public park. So when you're saying from dust dawn to dust down, we're open, people don't hear 10 to 1 come to volunteer. I mean, come to volunteer and come to reap the benefits or come to pick up fresh fruits. They're envisioning they can go whenever they want and get whatever they want. That's the only thing I can really say that we have to work on to prevent um, people taking clippings so they can start their own food forest. And I'll give you an example. I had six bundles of lavender that I've been growing for three years and I now have two left. So when they asked me, well, how much were you able to get? Nothing. Mm -hmm. We're not able to give to community if people are harvesting. I have nothing to give. Mm -hmm. So once we get this under control, I think it will be a lot, a lot, a lot more um, accessible for the people that really need it. What are your hopes for the future of the Brown Smell Food Forest? I hope that everybody can look at us as more than a food source. I hope people can see this as a place of healing, a spiritual place that when you enter, you just feel the energy of positivity and love and peace in the space because that's what it's all about. I look forward to following the food forest movement in North America as it continues to establish itself over the coming years. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Urban Bounce. If you want to learn more about the projects mentioned in this episode, you can follow their social media platforms linked in the description. Follow Urban Bounce on Instagram, urbn.bounce, for podcast updates and more urban planning content. If you need something else to listen to, check out last week's episode where we take a deeper dive into the fight for free transit in Canada. Thanks for listening.